0: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I wanted to give everybody an opportunity to, um, kind of hit me up with where you're at. You know, your thoughts, your questions, your comments, your concerns, and I want to lead the day off with those questions, comments, and concerns. By the way, I do this, I'm starting to do this more regularly, and as the off-season approaches, one way or another, whether we win the Super Bowl or lose on Sunday, it's coming very quickly. Um... I'm going to lean on you guys more and more because obviously the content starts to dry up as far as actual things that are happening. But if you want to get involved in that, make sure you uh, jump in on the uh, the Packernet podcast Facebook group. It's been blowing up lately. I mean, everything's blown up lately because it's it's January. January is the greatest time ever for um, I mean for all of us that are doing anything football related. It's probably not true if you're not in the playoffs, but uh, we are. But if you haven't done that yet, make sure you get in the group and um, then you can partake in these glorious things. Also, still looking for someone to, to manage the group, which again, it really manages itself. I don't even have a single item on the list of things that I'd like you to do. It would just be kind of cool to bring somebody else into the team. So you have the easiest job of anybody because it grows itself, but just know that it's there. It's there as an option to uh, jump in on the chat with the rest of the crew and Kind of help strategize on how to grow the Packernet enterprise. Aside from making that sound cool, I'm not entirely sure what that means. I'm just I'm just having fun doing it. I really am. I like having a group of people to kind of hang out with. and It's kind of like a real-life video game. I think that's what makes me so happy about this, what I'm doing right here. I don't have other hobbies. This is it. I don't want to throw around the word entrepreneur because I think it's kind of a stupid word or it's become stupid, you know? But I just feel like that's the way I'm wired. I mean, even as a kid, like I always liked the video games where you like have to get a bunch of money. And even if that's not the main goal, like war games, my thing was always getting money. Starcraft, I loved that game because you harvest gas and minerals. And then with that, you can build a massive army or whatever. But it was always about anything involving growth. Civ, love those games. And so now as an adult, struggling to enjoy those games, but I get to grow this, right? seeing the growth of the YouTube channel, the growth of the podcast and all that. That's, it just, it gets me jacked up. So, finally found my niche in society. Never really liked doing stuff until I found this stuff. But let's just, uh, let's go ahead and kick this thing off here, shall we? First of all, just starting from the top, Jamie Ryan says, Personally, I love your rants when you go off cuff. It shows us who you are. I'm sure your ratings take a hit. Just know that I appreciate it. I honestly don't know. I really don't. I have seen a lot of positive feedback. I've seen some negative feedback. I think people are... It, it's, it's hard to know, because when I get feedback, and even a lot of feedback would be like 10 people out of 5,000. So I don't know. I have no idea what the general consensus is, other than to say most of those people keep coming back. So either they're just tolerating it, or they really enjoy it, or it's probably just a healthy mix, and I, I don't really know where to go with that. Now, obviously, when the rants delve into, quote-unquote, political things, which sometimes... Um, Football and political time kind of overlap, and then sometimes I get very heated on those particular topics. Those are when things get a little iffy, right? That's when I start losing some followers. That's when I start getting negative reviews, but that's also when I get the most positive feedback, right? The people that love the show tell me those are their favorite episodes. To be completely honest, those are the ones where I get the biggest donations. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they know I'm going to catch a lot of heat and they want to show as much massive support as possible to say, hey, I still got your back. Now, again, I don't like doing that. And I've, as if you've noticed, I've stayed away from that from a very long... I just, I don't like it. Even if I got a healthy stream and people are like, I just want you to do like a political podcast and, and we will... I, I would probably make a lot more money doing that. The guys that do political podcasts make a killing. I just, I can't handle that emotionally. When I was younger, I could. I, I lived and breathed that stuff. I'd get into arguments at school constantly. I'd fight with my teachers constantly and win every time, obviously. I just I don't have any interest anymore, and so uh, it's just not worth it. I'm I'm much happier just staying away from it. I've realized the more I stomp and rant and rave, the uh, the more things don't change. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter, and I'm really just poisoning myself more than anything else. Nobody listens, nobody cares. So occasionally on Facebook I'll throw something out, and I know nobody listens. Everybody's got me blocked at this point, so it doesn't really matter. It's just to get something off my chest, and then I move on with my life. But um, yeah, I don't I have no idea. I don't know what people think of the rants. Justin says, and I know we've discussed your last name in the past, but I, I forgot, so we'll leave it alone. I'm afraid the Bucks are going to dink and dunk us to death and run the ball, not allowing the defense to get off the field. I feel like we need to force third and seven or longer just to let the pass rush get home. How do we make Brady uncomfortable enough to win? That's kind of what we've been we've been talking about. Um, that does make sense, but again, the last two teams we faced, that was their strategy and it didn't really work in their favor. But again, thats that is the big thing, right? That's the... The problem with dink and dunk, it's sort of a self-defeating thing, right? The whole point of dink and dunk is we're not going to let you hurt us, right? You're not going to get that pass rush on us. We're going to be able to execute and do all this thing. The problem is without any big plays, you have to do that a lot of times. And the more you have to do it, the more likely you are to fail at some point, the more likely you are to put yourself in a third and seven. Now, the, the inherently dangerous thing about the Bucks is that they're a much better offense than any of the, of the last two that we faced. Tom Brady is a much better quarterback than Goff and Trubisky. I think the group of receivers, I think the the head coach, eh, eh I don't know about that. Let's just say the head coach does a better job of... The, the point is, what you're betting on is you're going to make a mistake or we're going to make a play. At some point, that's going to happen. And if you're on offense and you're playing the dink and dunk, you're betting on we're going to be efficient and we're not going to make mistakes all the way down the field. But, but then again, the problem is... Okay, you do that on one, how many series are you going to be able to do that? If you can do that an entire game, great. But I just think, listen, if this is, you look at what happened last year with the Green Bay Packers, or even against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I mean, if, if you're just annihilating a team, a defense, so badly that they can't even catch their breath, they can't even do anything, then yeah, just keep doing it. The point is, though, what are the Bucks going to do when it's not working? What are the Bucks going to do when the Packers' defense is making plays? And I think that's that's sort of part two of the Mike Petton strategy so you you dink and dunk and we're going to let you do that but eventually you're going to make mistakes and our offense is so good and that's the other reason why it's a, a, a good defensive strategy is that our offense is so good that if you get the ball and you don't score and we get the ball and get a touchdown the pressure's on now and the further we start to separate the more you need to get away from dink and dunk and start playing into what exactly we want you to do now you can choose between playing dink and dunk and playing too slow and losing or opening up the throttle a little bit and playing right into our hands. So, I mean, it, it really is the pressure's on them. It feels like the pressure's on us, and, and really, if, if they're able to do it, then it comes down to we need Zedarius and Rashawn to do what they did last week, which is somehow, in some kind of freakish way, get a massive amount of pressure despite the fact that you have no time in which to do so. There's no reason that those two guys should have gotten seven pressures each when Goff is getting the ball out of his hand as quickly as he was. And the fact of the matter is, if they can do that, then you've got nothing, because Dink and Dunk implies you're not going to be able to get pressure. But then it, it just has a bunch of other problems with it that you're going to have to overcome. If pressure's coming when you when you're getting the ball out quick, I don't know what you do. I guess you got to run the ball well, right? You execute a couple screens or something just to try to get this pressure to just relax. But it, it's it you know it's like anything else. You got to kind of feel it out. We'll see what the Buccaneers want to do. Maybe they want to come back and just uncork it and just say, you know what, we're not scared of you. That was the biggest thing that that the when the uh the Broncos and the Packers have referenced the game several times, but you know, the Packers offense was the most feared thing in football. And the Denver Broncos had the number one defense and this was several years ago, I don't know, twenty fifteen or something. But um the Broncos just said, We're not gonna play scared of you. We're gonna play man to man. We're gonna we're just gonna shut you down and they did. So maybe Tampa gets all chesty and they've been that way, you know, for everything. We're not scared. We're just gonna walk right through this team. The cold doesn't matter. Blah blah blah. blah. It's all fake nonsense, but um, maybe that is their thought process. We're not going to play scared. We're going to attack them. I don't know. We'll see. But you know, it, it's just everything that comes with it has its own hurdles, and how you manage that, how you adjust to that, is going to be what matters. I mean, the the most dangerous thing is they play into our strength, and they can do it if they're taking shots and 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 they're getting deep plays and all this other stuff, and and that's what we're trying. That's the one thing we're trying to take away, and we can't defend that, then we're in trouble. But we got to see. I, I, you know. Again, this is what teams have been trying to do to the Packers for a long time. Keep Aaron Rodgers on the sideline, dink and dunk your way down the field. But the defense has proven too good for that. They let you do it. They let you do it. They let you do it. And then after about four first downs, you run for no yards. You throw an incomplete pass, and now it's third and 10. Then the sack comes. And what seemed like this great drive, and that's that's the beauty of it. It looks like your defense is garbage. Like, dude, you just you can't stop anybody. And then just like that, it's over. Like, what do you, what do you mean they're punting? How are they punting? This defense couldn't stop anything, right. Just takes that one series, just takes that one that one bad pass, that one pass breakup, that one pressure, ruins the whole thing. So, you know, we just, we just got to see. It's hard to project into the future. I don't know what the Bucks' game plan is going to be. It does kind of make sense, dink and dunk, especially when you consider the weather. Everything about it says you probably don't want to just drop back and unload. And we got to see what the Packers try to do. They might want to mix it up and, and get a little beefy up front and say, go ahead and try to throw, Tom. 90 year old Tom in 25 degree weather cold weather doesn't matter huh okay let's let's see some uh let's see some passes here I doubt it but you know we don't know we'll see got a very good question here from mr uh, Christopher again we've gone over your last name I don't remember I remember you telling me and being like nah that ain't it <laughs> that's that doesn't seem right but uh, he's come to be known as goose so I'm gonna just call him goose I'm going to read the question because it's a good question, but then tell you that I'm not going to answer your question. How many teams have been blown out in the regular season and in the playoffs beaten the team that blew them out? Now, I, this is exactly the kind of stuff that I love, but it's going to require me sitting down, getting an Excel spreadsheet and devising a plan. Um, because for example, like I, I sat down and I'm like, all right, let's, let me take a crack at this and see if I can do it live. And so I just went to 2019. There were 49 what I would consider to be blowouts. I just picked 20 points. Uh, You have to win by 20 points or more to be considered a blowout. 49. That's a lot. So then I'd have to go through point by point. I guess it's not necessarily true. I could do team by team. Let me just try something here. Why don't you just do it yesterday? You're not prepared for your podcast. Shut up. We'll do 2019 live. And if we don't find one, then we're just going to move on. And I will try this for another year. You're just going to have to remind me, hey, look into that sometime. Like maybe next week after all the the stuff is over because I do want to look into this and I'm going to forget your question so remind me please but let's do 2019 real quick so the the playoff winners we got Seattle beat Philly I doubt that was a thing but let's see if Seattle got blown out that's the other thing about this too that the, the question is sort of for example if I came back to the conclusion that it almost never happens the the automatic assumption might be C that means we don't have a very good chance the 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 problem with that is we're not accounting for the fact that the odds of you getting blown out and making it into the playoffs and playing the team that blew you out that already is an astronomically small percentage that's going to happen the question is how many times did that actually happen and then did you win or lose that would be sort of if we're trying to get a statistical answer on how likely it is the packers beat the bucks based on the fact that they lost to them you'd have to account for that i'm definitely not doing that today but again, it's, interestingly enough, it's interesting enough that I want to look at it. So Seattle was not blown out all year, so that's obviously not a thing. Minnesota was not blown out. I find that hard to believe, but they did have a very good defense. It's hard to beat a good defense by 20 points. Tennessee against New England. I hope so, because that would be funny. Tennessee was not blown out. All right, we're striking out all over the place. 49 blowouts, and I can't find one of these teams houston beat buffalo let's take a look see here oh houston got blown out three times none of them to buffalo though they got blown out by baltimore kansas city and tennessee which is interesting because they got blown out oh wait is that the post that's we're already looking at the postseason i was supposed to just be looking at the regular season i was gonna say they got blown up by kansas city and then got blown out again in the no that's that's one of the blowouts all right strike 19 Green Bay beat Seattle. The only blowout we had was against San Francisco and obviously lost to them. Didn't get blown out. It was close. So it was only a 17-point loss in the playoffs, so burn. San Francisco didn't have any blowouts, so that doesn't matter. Tennessee again, Kansas City. So it didn't happen last year. I'm sure it's happened at some point, but, again, you got to find teams that got blown out. And then even if we if we look at these teams, how many of them made the playoffs? Arizona twice, no playoffs. Atlanta twice, no playoffs. Carolina, one, two, three, four, five times they got blown out. They did not go to the playoffs. Chicago, blown out by Kansas City, didn't go to the playoffs. Cincinnati, one, two, three, four times, didn't go to the playoffs. Cleveland twice, Denver twice. Detroit, Green Bay once, they went to the playoffs. They got blown out, they did not beat San Francisco. Houston, three times, they did go to the playoffs. Um, Indy did not. Jacksonville, four times. Chargers, rams twice so i mean most of these teams don't even go to the playoffs so again i i I don't want the fact that the answer is obviously very rarely does it happen to make people think oh great we don't have a chance it's very rare that a team gets blown out and goes to the playoffs and plays the team that blew them out so again remind me because i want to see if i can kind of narrow down a better way to do this because it's a a fun question it's kind of an off-season-y question but it's a good question and i did my best live I'm going to do the same thing for Garrett. Um, again, great question. I, I Two two points, though. I want you to hit me with this again, but also further clarify, because I'm not entirely sure I understand exactly what you mean. I, it's one of those questions I could absolutely take it and run with it, but I'll probably only halfway answer your question, because I, I don't exactly follow you to a T. But that brings us to Stephen Bradley. He says, I haven't listened to today's pod, so forgive me if it was discussed. I know you did some Chandon Sullivan stuff that got deleted already. But I'd like to hear some sort of breakdown of how King and Sullivan have fared this season, how they each match up versus Godwin Evans. I feel like they both have been all right this season, but I really don't know if they've been good or bad. How do you think Sullivan would do versus Tyler Johnson? A, B, out might be a factor. A couple things. Uh, I don't remember exactly what got deleted, so I will happily talk about Chandon a little bit. Sorry if I did that already, but uh, we'll go over that. There is some question, obviously, about Kevin King and whether he's going to play. Kind of shocking, honestly, when looking at this... um, the uh the injury report um a couple things seemed to to pop up sort of last minute i mentioned how everybody was basically fine mercedes lewis is the only guy that did not practice but that's usually just a rest thing he's going to be fine then suddenly on friday you had almost an, an identical injury report except mercedes went back to practice except for two notable things kevin king had a back injury that just kind of cropped up out of nowhere he became questionable also kingsley kiki who was fine Wednesday and Thursday? I mean, it's a concussion thing, so it's weird. Like, if, if you're cleared to play, you're cleared to play. He was cleared. He played uh, or practiced in limited fashion on Wednesday, limited on Thursday. Then he did not practice Friday and is already declared out. So, kind of strange, but there will be no Kingsley Kiki. But, anyways, I'm um, trying to break down. There's several questions embedded in this. First of all, how have they fared for the season? Let's just start there. Um, sort of a zoomed out look. I you know I speak in generalities a lot of time. Um, and sometimes I forget that you can't see exactly what I'm looking at. So let's take a look at Kevin King first of all. And Kevin King is kind of similar to Billy Turner, well, I mean, for for several reasons, I guess for me. Neither of them is actually grading out all that well, but statistically I'm satisfied with what they're doing. Based on grade, he's actually gone backwards quite a bit. Um, he went from a 62 overall grade to a 55. His coverage grade was the biggest reason. His run defense grade actually went up. But his coverage grade went from a 62 to a 51. Now, if you're wondering why, because it seems like he hasn't really given up that much, that's true. He gave up 904 yards and four touchdowns. This year, 529 yards and a touchdown. That's much better. I'm going to cut in here really quickly. Um, Just as an update, I apologize for this episode getting out late. If you didn't see on social media and whatnot, I was recording this probably about 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, somewhere in that range. And uh, the wife was texting me that she was in severe pain, so we had to go to the hospital, et cetera, et cetera. It is now 1.42 in the afternoon, and I'm picking up right here, so I apologize for getting that out late. By the way, when I say on social media, I'm sorry that I failed you because I took my wife to the hospital, I'm just—I'm joking around, man. I, I really don't care. <laughs> I, I appreciate people trying to build me back up, but I'm, I'm not that insecure. Jeez. Anyways, I'm going to do my best to try to pick up where I left off, but I'll be completely honest. I just played the last, like, five seconds to try to remember— what my thought process was, and um, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But as far as Kevin King is concerned, so um, he has given up substantially less yards. The The biggest difference, though, in terms of, okay, so why did he give up 900 yards and he's average This year he gives up 500 yards and he has a 50 overall grade. It's the fact that last year was ridiculous with the interception and in pass breakups. And it was similar to what I said about Zadarius and Preston in which these are the fickle stats. These are fickle stats that when you see somebody blow up, they're not sustainable stats, and they're going to regress. And in Kevin King's case, he went from five interceptions to zero interceptions, 11 pass breakups to five pass breakups. So when you mix that in, although he hasn't given up as much yards, and I've, I've been on record saying I would rather have this year than last year. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's stupid and, and petting and a bunch of people would disagree and say, listen, turnovers are crucial. you got to have it. And I get that, and that's that's cool and all. But I was pained by the the amount of big passes that he gave up, the two hundred yard games and whatnot. I much prefer Kevin King this year with the less flashy. I mean, I'd love to get at least one pick on the season. But I mean, he's had one hundred plus yard game. Otherwise, it's been relatively small, a couple fifties and forties, and I mean it hasn't been great, especially since he gets picked on so much and he's playing off, which we talked about might not be his fault. Really wish I knew why we were talking about Kevin. Oh, there was a question about Kevin King and Chandon Sullivan. But I'm I'm actually okay. It's kind of weird because I've been very— and I, I think, again, because my personality is very anti-whatever everybody else is saying. I shouldn't say it that way. I'm not anti what everyone else is saying. I just think people take things too far. And the fact of the matter is everybody loved Kevin King way more than they should have, and and they would not stop saying things like, when he's healthy, he's really good, which was never true now it feels like the fan base has kind of gotten to the point where they're like, I just don't like this guy, and now it, my personality kind of kicks in, and it's like, you know, he's not, come on, guy, he's not that bad. Look, I mean, you know, you cut him a little bit of slack, this and that, whatever. But look, I mean, he's just, I would say he's good enough, and especially since we're talking about him being a number two, you look at the fact of his, his how physical he is. I mean, he is a, a relatively, I shouldn't say that, sometimes he's a terrible tackler, but he can be very violent. I think he's been very hesitant lately, which is kind of annoying. But also just the big body nature. So, I mean, he's got, he's kind of like an MVS, right? There's so much potential in him. You don't see it all the time, but you do kind of almost feel comfortable, you know, especially when he goes up against the Julios and stuff. It's like, as much as I have my reservations, I know he can handle himself in certain situations. So, I mean, you know, is he what we had hoped he would be when he was a, you know, the first pick in the second round at, at six foot three, 200 pounds, runs a four, four, three? No. Do I think he's going to get a massive contract extension from the Packers? No. Maybe extended, I, I don't know, we'll see. I shouldn't say extended, maybe he'll get a new contract. But he's not going to break the bank anywhere. As far as trends, which is probably more what this question is about, there really hasn't been a trend. Um, he's been pretty consistently average all season. I do tend to like how he's ended the last couple weeks as opposed to how he started the season. Uh, in both cases, there's a 70 mixed in, but he's he's kind of sandwiched between a bunch of like 60s whereas he started the season sandwiched between a 50 and a 40, and it just kind of, you know, it's it's more like average to good, whereas he started the season bad with a good game mixed in. But, again, he's real up and down. I mean, week 14 against Detroit, they gave him a 29 overall grade. His tackling, it's just, I mean, PFF has always hated his tackling. It's actually a 49 right now, and that's an improvement over last year. But, again, I mean, it's just, its I think at this point, we're kind of past the point where we say, well, when he's healthy, and, you know, he's just got to turn a corner, I think we just know what he is. And what he is is what he is. There's no trend. There's no Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage breakout. There's no big revelation about, dude, the last few weeks. No, it's just, it's Kevin King. And I'm glad he's on the field, if he's on the field. I do, I do, I am at a point now where I'm comfortable with him. I think largely because of the play of everybody else. I like the pass rush. I love Jair. I like our safeties. That provides a cushion where Kevin King, at his worst, is not going to just completely kind of blow this thing up, I guess. As for Chandon, and again, I don't remember because I had my computer crash on me yesterday and I don't remember where I had left off or what I said and didn't say, but if we kind of play stupid games here with the statistics, he has been trending in an unbelievably good um, direction. Now again, you got to play with the numbers a little bit and, and start at week 15 and go through the divisional round um and even when you do that you're talking about some teams that's only three weeks because they're not in the playoffs some weeks some teams that's four weeks because they were in the wild card and the divisional round for the packers or excuse me that would be five for the packers it's four so it's, it's a little bit uneven but just let's just embellish ourselves and get excited because we're packer fans here but if we say we're gonna look at week 15 16 17 wild card and divisional round the second highest graded cornerback, and remember, these are grades, so it's not cumulative. So it's not like, well, of course you're, you know, you're you have better statistics. You know, it's not passing yards where you get an advantage because you have more games. We're just looking at grade, which is sort of we'll call it averaged, even though it's not exactly how it works. But so the amount of games you play doesn't matter. The second highest graded cornerback in that entire stretch is Jair Alexander. The fourth highest graded corner in that stretch is Chandon Sullivan. Now, again, it's a relatively small sample size, but it's still impressive. We're talking about second and fourth out of 108 corners. And that that's the thing. I mean, I say small sample size, so, so certain things kind of look a certain way or they can be skewed, but it doesn't have to be, right? I mean, there's still 108 guys, and some of these guys are terrible. <laughs> Just because it's a small sample, I mean, put me on the field in only three games, and what do you think my grade's going to be, a 0.0? I don't know if they have negative grades, but they might. They might start that for me. Point is, I mean, it's, it's a relatively small sample size, but we're talking about five weeks in total, four for the Packers, which four games is a quarter of an entire season, and he is right now the fourth highest graded guy. And again, it's relative. It depends who you're going up against. So it, it changes. He's not going up against number ones. He's our slot guy. But it's still impressive any way you slice it you can't look at it and say yeah but he's bad no that's not how that works maybe it's a little overinflated but we're talking about a 70 run defense grade and a 90.0 coverage grade they're I mean, i'm just saying they're impressed with what he's been doing recently if we look at the specifics you know up into that point and this is another thing that's that shows progression he had one game in which pff said he did a good job or a very good job and that was against detroit he had an 80 overall grade outside of that starting in week one 34 62 65 62 63 44 62 34 65 69 37 43 not a single 70 unless you want to kind of bump up that 69 8 but not a single 70 a lot of 60s a 40 and a couple 30s that's what he's done all year with one flukish uh, week two Since then, starting in week 15, his grade has been 92-52. He did have a bad game mixed in, relatively. 74.8 and 74.8. So two games in the 70s back-to-back, just two weeks after his best game probably of his entire career. It's only been three years. I guess I can fact-check that. Last year, his highest was an 81, and then with Philly in 2018, his highest was a 68. Not surprisingly, Philly didn't keep him around for a reason. So, yeah, best game he's ever had, and he played 58 snaps. That was one of the, the most he's ever been on the field against Carolina. Locked it down. So, listen, I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and just talk nonsense about we got it all wrapped up because chandon's one of the best cornerbacks in football but it just you just added whatever you want to say that that is it's you know a a small improvement on a mediocre cornerback any way you want to phrase it it's still another layer of man we're headed in the right direction there's no question about jair alexander there's very little doubt that that seemed weird i think i just turned that down a little bit getting a little too crazy with the mic here very little doubt at this point about Darnell Savage and Rashawn Gary taking a pretty big step. There's very little doubt that Adrian Amos has really turned a corner. And, and by turned a corner, I guess I mean has established himself for the year as, as really got his stuff together. That's a terrible way to phrase that, but you get what I'm saying. All right? just all the things going in the right direction. And and I I brought up Chandon briefly just to say this is a guy we never talk about that we should. I mean, Chandon is sort of the defensive version of uh, of Rick Wagner right? A stud who has been a stud all year and we never even mention his name. Another massive knock out of the park by uh, Brian Gutekunst. So that's sort of a, a general overview, I guess, of, uh, of the two. In terms of the specifics, what was your specific or the other part of your question? How do you think Sullivan would do versus Tyler Johnson? So the first immediate issue, and I'm, I'm not trying to be... Uh, a jerk or anything about the question in general because it is a good question. But I don't want to get too locked into because that's that's what everybody else does, right? On Twitter, in the media and everything, it's always this guy versus this guy. It's Rogers versus Brady, which we know is nonsense. It's it's uh Jair versus whichever wide receiver they think he's going up against. Against Godwin or that's not how it works. I mean everybody just goes everywhere. And let me just really quick, I'm just gonna pick any random game here. Um let's just look at LA because that's the one we're on right now. If we look at the different coverages so, for example, Devonte Adams, right? The big thing was Jalen Ramsey versus Devonte Adams. Devontae had ten reception or uh, ten targets, nine receptions, sixty-six yards, and a touchdown. Right? It was. It clearly wasn't against all Jalen Ramsey. Here's how it broke down: two targets, one reception against Jordan Fuller; three targets, three receptions against Jalen Ramsey; one target, one reception against Troy Reader; one target, one reception against Darius Williams; one target, one reception against Nick Scott; two targets, two receptions against Troy Hill. Those are just times that he was targeted. Think about all the different reps in which he wasn't targeted, and we pretty much covered the whole defense, right? We got pretty much every linebacker, safety, and corner, probably a couple defensive linemen at some point or another, end up the primary cover guy. And again, it doesn't even end up on the stat sheet unless he actually gets targeted. So it gets spread out a ton, and you can go through, you know, MVS was against Jalen, Troy Reeder, John Johnson, Darius Williams, and Troy Hill. Alan Lazard was against Jalen Ramsey, Troy Reader, John Johnson, Darius Williams, Nick Scott, Troy Hill. There is no one-on-one matchup that's not how it works kind of ever at any time, anybody has a big day it's almost always spread out i think the most that i see anyone get targeted against anyone in this game was jalen ramsey against Devontae, and that was three targets three receptions everything else is onesie twosie i mean literally every single person on here tanyan uh tanyan two targets against john johnson two against kenny young lazard two against troy hill and everybody else was one target MVS 2 against Troy Hill, 2 against Darius Williams, 2 against John Johnson, everything else is 1. So there's there's only one time Aaron Rodgers targeted one receiver against one cover guy. So now that I've obnoxiously over explained that portion of it, again and again, it's not to be a jerk, it's just because I feel like the fan base in general gets too locked into it's this guy versus this guy and that's never how it works. There's way too much offensive and defensive variability. Anyways, Tyler Johnson um And I think the big reason we're talking about him is with the absence of Antonio Brown, he's going to get more snaps. I'd also like to throw in Scotty Miller. Scotty Miller is actually their number three wide receiver right now. Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller are basically exactly tied with how many slot snaps they have, 103 and 104. It's also worth noting that uh, Mike Evans has 322 snaps from the slot. So that's roughly one third of the time. And uh, Chris Godwin, 467. He's actually primarily a slot guy. So in terms of, you know, again, I'll, I'll we'll take a look at Tyler Johnson. But Chris Godwin spends the most amount of time in the slot. Then it's Mike Evans. Then Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller kind of rotate in and out um, from being outside to inside. Chris Godwin is the only one that spends most of his time in the slot, though. So I mean, Chandon's going to have to see. He's going to see the full gamut and that's one of the the negatives is Tampa Bay is going to try to find the best matchups and um that may come down to putting somebody on you know whether that's the big body Mike Evans on Chandon and trying to use that physicality whether it's the speed of a Chris Godwin 442 speed but again just looking at your specific question Tyler Johnson um he's a subpar football player i mean we look we know who the stars are I'm not going to try to diminish the guy because, you know, he ends up, and we've seen that recently where kind of the, the number threes or some kind of unknown guy ends up getting, you know, their their banner years, especially young guys. I mean, he's a fifth-round pick in 2020, so you get all these rookies that are having big days against the Packers primarily probably because the packers do a good job taking away the top guys but um no i mean he's been unremarkable um his first good game quote unquote via pff was week nine against new orleans he didn't have another good one until uh again new orleans so i doubt that that's a um i doubt that's an accident you know only two good games all year and they happen to be against the same teams um sure it has some kind of a matchup implication there but um he's not my biggest concern that's and, and and look if if this comes down to you know Tyler Johnson winning the game for Tampa I think we're good. Uh, I think Chandon matches up fine with him in terms of I mean there's nothing overall remarkable about him in general. He's not 6'5" 215. He's not 410 speed. He's a 6'2" 200 pounds fifth round kind of lackluster football player. So not as worried about him. I think we got to stick to being concerned. And again, you've got guys like Tyler Johnson and Scotty Miller that are that are there that have to be accounted for, but you know, the major players, the major pieces are Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. And again, they're not afraid to throw them in the slot against Chandon if they think that's what's going to give them the best opportunity. Anyways, I feel like we're kind of at a good halfway point here. It's been kind of a long day, so I do think uh, we'll we'll just take a break, come back, answer a couple more, and get out of here. It's 2 o'clock, so uh, I don't know. It's, it's been a long day. Also, really quickly, I do want to do one thing, and I don't think you're going to have time because I think we're going to end this. But if it's still active and you hear this and you want to give... Uh, quickly to the computer fund, then I guess feel free. But I do want to say thank you before that gets closed out. And it looks like somebody else did donate, so thank you for that. But um, we have 20 donors that I want to go through. A special thank you, first of all, to Jeremy Retz, though, who put this together. Again, I was not asking for a new computer. I just, I was complaining because that's what I do. I just talk about things that are going on. And um, he decided to throw together a GoFundMe. And within, I mean, it's been two days and we are at, uh, nearly $1,100 for a new computer. But thank you very much to Jeremy for not only setting this up, but then getting it started with his donation. Um, I can't thank you enough for doing this, brother. I just, you know, it's crazy. It's a crazy gesture, and it's it's an overwhelming thing to have people care that much, you know. I'm just talking football, and I'm trying to work real hard to get some YouTube videos going. Half of you guys probably don't even watch my YouTube channel, and that's what I really need a lot of this stuff for. But, um, it, it definitely means a lot. Thank you very much to Anonymous Donor. I know who you are, but I'll keep you anonymous. Thank you to William Latin, Bruce Edmonds, Luke Holm, James Thompson, Coach Hawn, JJ, um, my hero, the Anonymous Donor that gave $400, uh, Mr. Matt Schroeder, Brian Prakowski. I, I know we've talked about your last name, and I'm pretty sure that's not it. But, uh, you know, I just I, that's what my brain defaults to, so that's just what you're going to be in my head. Michael Lazuski, Kyle Bernston. Eric Balgard, uh, Andrew Moran, Scott Muir, Andrew Matson, Mike Calvert, Brandon Bellinger, and then the other, the final anonymous donor from uh, 45 minutes ago. So uh, again, I, I, I asked Jeremy to go ahead and end this um, so we can move forward. I think I found something that um, it's going to cost a little bit more than what we have. I know that sounds crazy, but you wouldn't believe how much energy these programs, the video editing and everything else require. Um, this computer is, is literally burning up and and powering off and crashing on me for a reason because I'm just putting a ton of juice into this thing. But again, if it happens to be up and you want to you know throw in you know a couple bucks or whatever before it ends, then uh, feel free. But I think we're good. And I just want to say thank you to everybody for, for doing that because that's, that's above and beyond. You don't have to do that. But anyways, we're going to go ahead and take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. You know, as I'm thinking about it, as annoying as today was, it's kind of nice because the game is tomorrow and I I'm not kidding I kind of just forgot about it. <laughs> and that's that's kind of a blessing when you think about it. With all the stuff going on, it's so miserable when you have like 27 hours left till kickoff and you're sitting there like I don't know what to do other than like slam a half a bottle of Nyquil and hope that you time that just right so that you wake up at kickoff. I don't I mean it's just it's miserable the anxiety and just how slow time goes. I just uh, I pretty much just wasted a day. Man, kickoff is tomorrow. I'm I'm probably not going to go buy ribs. That was my plan was to make ribs for tomorrow. I don't even care. It's like I this is this is fine. I'll have I'll have a bowl of cereal. I don't really care. I just I just want football. So Goose comes in with another question. He says, "Will Vita Vea play Sunday? And if he does, do you think he'll be football ready?" Also, I think it's okay to not like AB. I know it's okay to not like AB. I also know that it's it's uh, okay to well no it's not. I'm just going to leave that alone. Let's just say I'm comfortable with. Uh, with my position my position on him feel free to disagree if you like um my understanding is Vita Vea will play now i i know that there's been a lot of gamesmanship and we saw it with the rams right oh uh cooper cup yeah it's not a big deal he'll be fine dude didn't play um aaron donald people that have had that injury doctors talking about it are, are telling us that is a serious injury he's gonna have a lot of pain what did the rams say he's fine he's fine so you get uh, Ian Rappaport saying, oh, no, he's going to be fine. He's fine, right? Because that's what the team's telling him. That's what they're getting fed. So that's what they're telling us. And we're hearing, a, you know, and, and part of me is thinking, yeah, maybe. I mean, he's an elite athlete. I'm sure they're going to dope him up so he doesn't even feel anything. But obviously, he was not playing his best. I don't know if we've ever seen Aaron Donald get beat that bad. I mean, no disrespect to Elton Jenkins, who was just doing a great job. But, I mean, that doesn't happen. I mean, double, he doesn't get beat that bad on double teams. He was banged up, right? But, but that was, that was the thing is it's playoff time and we don't want to tip our hand and we're going to just lie. And so what have we heard now? You know, AB is fine. He's going to be good to go. Turns out he's not even going to play. It's gamesmanship. Oh, we don't care about the cold. We're not worried about the cold. Nonsense. Gamesmanship. So when they come out and they're like, Vita is fine. He's totally going to play. I don't know, man. I mean, I'm not saying he's not going to play. I know he's going to be suited up. That's pretty much already been established. Um, the point is, though, how much is he going to play, right? Same with Aaron Donald. He's fine. He's going to be good to go. By the second half, he spent more time on the sideline than he did on, did on the field. And so when you haven't played since week five, there's some serious doubt. And I feel I feel like Tampa Bay is in a position now. And look, maybe Via Veda come, Vita Vea comes back and he is just an absolute monster, um, in which case that kind of answers itself. And then you kind of just get into general game plan in terms of you know how do you try to play with Vita Vea on the field, which is tough because again he's a he's a, a uh, he's a pretty good pass rusher. So it's not like well we're just going to pass. and We're going to try to keep him on the field because he's he's one of their better pass rushers. Surprisingly, it's very rare to have a nose tackle that's a good pass rusher. And even even if you think well then we're going to stretch it laterally and make him run, that's not what you want to do against these linebackers. So it is tough. But um, I think the Packers are going to want to do what they did with Aaron Donald and say let's just see how good this guy is. Um, and what kind of shape he's in? We're gonna make him run a little bit. We're gonna run into him a little bit. We're gonna see exactly what this guy can do. And I have a feeling the Bucks are gonna make the decision that maybe maybe it should be a little bit more situational than it has been. It might even be similar to Snacks Harrison, who again is a good football player, but the guy just he wasn't playing right. And then all of a sudden he he comes in and he's supposed to just be the Snacks Harrison everybody knows and loves. And it's like that it doesn't really work that way, man. There's you got to get in game shape and understand the the system and all this stuff and. Obviously, Vita Vea understands the system, but um, I, I just—I guess I'm just taking everything with a grain of salt. I'm, I'm not saying I'm not scared of the guy because he's an elite football player, and that makes me nervous. But I am saying that um, it would be a Herculean effort if he comes in and just picks up where he left off, because it's just—it's—it's it's unbelievably unlikely that he's able to be peak physical condition. Got a question from Scott Muir, and I really wish I could answer these. And if anybody can tell me where I can get this information, that would be greatly helpful. But I don't know. Um, The question comes down to zone and man coverage and then the statistics within that. I actually think Sports Info Solutions might have it. Um, I could, just to be a super nice guy because you asked that uh, and, and gave that donation. Let me look really quickly. Because their, their stuff is stupid expensive. It's like a $1,000 to get their stuff, which I would love to be in a position in my life where I could afford that. I'm not there. I can afford PFF, not SIS. But they give you like a one-week trial with your email, which obviously you can just make as many emails as you want. I'm not saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> so, so let's take a gander at what SIS has to say. And I don't condone that kind of behavior. I'm just saying, you know, I, I really want to give this guy an answer to his question. All right, so I, I may have cheated the system a bit, <laughs> and I can get you kind of an answer, but this is where, and I have reached out to Coach Hahn. All right, we got an answer from Coach Hahn now. So um, what they do is they break it down based on coverage types, and some of them happen to be man, some of them happen to be zone. I'm too stupid to know which is which, but Coach Hahn was gracious enough to jump in and help me, so um, I'm going to be able to give you an answer and and so i I kind of forged ahead thinking i could figure out on my own with wikipedia and um, i'm going to blame wikipedia for being stupid instead of taking accountability for not knowing these things but um yeah i I pretty much broke all this down already and then had to delete it because i was very wrong but uh super big shout out to coach hahn for for coaching me up real quick so the way that i'm just going to read you what coach hahn said because again these are the different coverages and this is how i'm going to break it down because they break it down based on these different things and then i can look at each individual quarterback um and, and I'm going to say this a thousand times, probably thank you so much for asking this question and forcing me to do something illicit, <laughs> which is a word, another word for it, immoral. Um, and I apologize to SIS. Hopefully this is a nice little advertisement. If you got a bunch of money and you're looking for something that's arguably better than PFF that I don't have because I can't afford, SIS is, is the place to go, um, and I'm super excited now that I have this and I can dig into this stuff. And it's also cool because I never know what to do with it. There's too much information. So when somebody just says, hey, can you look this up? And you force me to go in and play with it. It's like, this is, I'm so excited. So again, this is from Coach Hahn. Just, I mean, it's for your information. Some of, most of you probably, if you've played Madden or whatever, you already know this. I'm the only idiot that doesn't know this, but this is the reference we're going to be using here. So, um, cover zero man with no safety help. That part I got right. Cover one is man to man with one safety help. Cover 2 is man-to-man with two safeties. He says cover 2, invert 2, cover 3, cover 4, cover 5, cover 6, along with uh, cover 7 and cover 9 are all straight zone coverages. Um, I don't think he put it on here, but I believe, although Google is what got me sent in the wrong direction in the first place, Tampa 2 is a a zone coverage. So I'm going to have Tampa 2 as a zone. But that's what we're going to use, and I'm going to break it down that way. We're going to look at each of the quarterbacks based on how they perform against man and zone coverage. I was actually pretty close, but cover two, three, four, six, and Tampa two. We're gonna put as our zone coverages. Gonna hit submit, and so our passer ratings. And and the other cool thing, and I mentioned this before, before I had to delete it. The other cool thing about this is the massive discrepancy in attempts, because what it tells you is defensive tendencies against a quarterback. For example, try to find a good example here. I'm not going to find one. Well, Okay, so not as big of a discrepancy since I changed things up, but 235 attempts for Drew Brees compared to 300 against Deshaun Watson. Why is there um, almost a third as much more, we'll call it a quarter, I guess, attempts for Deshaun Watson than there is against Drew Brees? What it tells me is that defensive coordinators, and it could just be coincidence depending on what defenses and what systems you go up against, But it tells me defensive coordinators prefer to play, what are we, in zone right now, I think? Zone coverage against certain guys as opposed to others. Right. For example, we knew, and I don't know if this is still the case, but back in the Mike McCarthy days, obviously, you wanted to play man-to-man against the Green Bay Packers because they couldn't find their way out of it. I think at this point, that's not necessarily as much the case, but um, it may still be to some degree. I don't know. But again, that's why this is partly super interesting. However... The 6th highest graded quarterback in terms of playing against zone. And I'm going to bump this up a little bit um, because there's still too many guys that have not played. We're going to say minimum of 100 attempts. Now we have Aaron Rodgers as the 2nd highest uh, passer rating when playing zone coverage. Deshaun Watson is the number 1. got to scroll down to number 9 here. I actually don't have to scroll, but I want to say that because it's more insulting. Scroll down way down here to number 9 where you find Tom Brady with a, a paltry 101.7 passer rating because he's a loser. <laughs> he barely cracked 100. Aaron Rodgers is way up there at 109 like a baller. But completion percentage for Aaron Rodgers, 70.9, basically 71%. Tom Brady, 65.5%. Uh, if you look at the totals, if we switch over here really quickly, Tom Brady, 6, uh, 2,615 yards, 20 touchdowns, and 8 interceptions while in zone coverage. Aaron Rodgers has 2,379 with 12 touchdowns, three interceptions. Now, if we switch this over to man defense and we come over and look at the rates, Aaron Rodgers is the third highest graded quarterback against man coverage, which again is fantastic news. In fact, the passer ratings in general seem to be a little bit higher. Um, Kirk Cousins is at 128 against man coverage. That actually, I, if I may go on a tangent here it just kind of clicked in my brain because I've always thought Kirk Cousins did a good job as a quarterback, especially against the Packers, and yet he gets dogged so much. Is it possible that he's just really good against man coverage, and maybe it just has to do with his wide receivers being really good at beating man coverage, but the Packers play a lot of man, so I wonder if that has something to do with it. But anyways, Kirk Cousins, number one, 128.2, pass rating Josh Allen, 126.0. That's extremely interesting. Again, this is a man coverage defense predominantly, and I don't know the percentages. We can look into that a little bit. Um, maybe that'll be for tomorrow because I don't want to sit here for another hour, although I am absolutely loving this. But Aaron Rodgers is number three at 123.9. Mr. Thomas Brady, and I do have to scroll this time, barely though. He is 10th with 105.0. Again, complete loser. <laughs> That's what happens when you get old and stupid. Barely crack 100. To be fair, these are extremely weak burns. I, you know... I don't even think he'd be insulted if you heard me, especially considering I can't even lift my arm still for about six months now because I played football with my son for about five minutes. But uh, he's still a loser. Super rich, talented, athletic, intelligent, stupid loser. (laughs) Uh, Tom Brady, 1,591 yards, 17 touchdowns, three interceptions against man defense. Aaron Rodgers, uh, let's see. They don't highlight, so I got to kind of... 1,395 yards, 34 touchdowns, two interceptions. That's that's interesting. Is that even—that's not—is that right? How is that right? How is that possible that he has— The, the next highest amount of touchdowns is Josh Allen with 25. Do not—I repeat, do not play man coverage against Aaron Rodgers. If that was ever a thing, if you want to shut down the Packers, play man-to-man— And it's got to be massive kudos to Devon. I'm sure there's other people involved, um, including Matt LaFleur and some of the other receivers, but do not play man coverage against Aaron Rodgers. My goodness. Jeez. Uh, He has been sacked five times out of that. Tom Brady, nine times out of man coverage. I do think I'm really quick. eh, No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to do it today. I was going to look at uh, the defensive personnel and how many snaps I've taken in man. If you want to know that, ask the question. Maybe we'll look at it tomorrow. So I don't know if that necessarily taught us anything. There seems to be a a fair amount of consistency. Um, Again, what was Tom? 101 and 105 in man. So I I don't know that it makes that big of a difference. I did learn that Aaron Rodgers is a man machine, or at least the Green Bay Packers are. His statistics clearly go through the roof. Again, I'm sure Devontae um, plays a massive part in that. And again, I think for tomorrow I do need to delve into what the defense's tendencies are and and what these guys, uh, did, you know, there was a huge thing about uh, what, I I just, I have to look it up. I just have to now. Because now I'm just beyond curious. Who is the guy that supposedly is elite in man coverage? And I'm not doubting it. I'm just, now I'm just extremely curious. Now that I have this $1,000 subscription for free, I might as well uh, take advantage of it. Was it Carlton Davis? Because if it was, people might be onto something here. The ninth lowest Passer rating ah uh, that's not it's QBR whatever it's just a different version of passer rating the ninth lowest QBR in man coverage is Carlton Davis for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers sixty two point one two if you look at uh, interceptions you've got uh, Carlton Davis is seventh granted it's only two interceptions but whatever interesting again we're gonna move on but that is interesting so that is your man guy right there for sure Scott I hope I uh hope I earned that that donation because uh, it was a little bit of work but super interesting. Um don't have a lot of time, let's see. Nico says, "Joey, do you like movies about gladiators?" Uh <laughs> Joey, who's Joe? Is it somebody ask a question about Joey? Who's Joey? Is that a line from a movie that I'm not a, do I like I'm the only movie about gladiators that I can think of is called Gladiator. I tend to think it's overrated although it, it is a good movie. It's one of those movies, now if we go may go on a tangent here. It's one of those movies that I think if I just saw it by itself, I'd say that's a very good movie, but I do think it's a little bit overhyped. So when people like talk about it in such glowing terms, it's like, yeah. And that just, that sticks in the back of my head. Like when I think Gladiator, it's like, oh, that movie's overrated. Although it's a very good movie. I don't know who Joey is. Uh, The final question here, I might as well just get to it. How much playing time and impact do you think these three all in pieces we added are going to contribute? Who are the all in pieces? Let's see. Snacks. I can think of four. But I think I know which three you're referring to. There's Snacks Harrison, there's Jared Valdir, there's Tremon Williams, and then there is um, Mr. Fumbly McFumbleson. Um, I'm trying to think if any of them really are going to contribute all that much. I think Snacks maybe the. I mean Valdir possibly could, if he's cleared to go and they and they really want to go in that direction. But again, I think the offensive line did such a great job with the guys that they had, and there's such you know unity, if that makes sense with that group, and, and cohesion is such an important thing. I don't know that you want to mess with it, and and if Valdir is there and ready to go and somebody's really just getting whooped on, maybe you throw him in see what happens. Not that you, that's something you want to do as a mid-game switch, but I'm not expecting a lot from Valdir. Um, Tremont, I think, is largely coming down to whether or not King plays. If, if if he does play, I don't know that he gets a ton of playing time because, again, Chandon, I think, at this point, is playing better football and is already there, and is kind of in the groove, and everything's kind of going. So he's a great locker room presence, and all that kind of stuff. He's there as depth, as I said. It's it's one of those things just to make sure that this the wheels don't fall off. Maybe maybe even you know Kevin King was having some back issues, and they brought him in just in case, and that's part of the reason they did it. But I'm not expecting a lot. Um, why can't I think of Fumbly McFumbleson's name? It's not Trevor Davis, but that's kind of where we're going with this. I you know I, I expect almost nothing from him um i think if they could the only i mean he's only going to play out of necessity which means nobody else is there because i mean what i saw from him it wasn't just the fumble it was the fact that this guy just he looked like he didn't want to even be out there he was so scared of fumbling he was basically just like jogging out of bounds you know like he didn't want to move too quickly because god forbid he gets too many yards but he also was worried about fumbling so he put all his energy into holding onto the ball and then whatever energy was left he basically um walked out of bounds slightly exaggerating but it was it was bad um and then it comes down to Snacks, and, and it, you know I'm, I, he's a guy that I would love to be able to see a little bit more of. I tend to think he did a good job, but I do think that there's some concern about him getting stuck on the field and um, Tampa Bay throwing all over us because he's obviously not a pressure guy, and they really need to bring pressure. And as much as we saw Zadarius line up over the middle of this defense, I just think that they, they're they probably going to prioritize getting after the quarterback as much as possible, playing coverage, playing pressure, and uh, not worrying about the run as much. I think Snacks is going to go out, and, and the, we've seen this happen. Snacks is kind of the, when they start running and we can't stop it, you just throw them out there like, all right, enough of this. And you throw Snacks out there and it stops, and they pull him instantly. I mean, the second they get a stop, it's like, don't even, I mean, at the, the second you hear that whistle, you book it to the sideline, right? So that, that seems to be his role, and, and I guess that's fine, but I I guess to answer your question as concisely as I can at this point, I don't expect very much from any of them, but I'm glad all of them are there with the exception of maybe of Fumbly. Um, for various reasons, you know, the depth, if nothing else, is extremely important. And again, having that uh, that ability, the variability with Snacks Harrison to where you just have that safety valve where if things are getting out of hand against the run and we have to abandon our plan, of just playing a lot of coverage and and bringing as much pressure as possible. We have that sort of plan B, break glass in case of emergency kind of a situation. So, Anyways, it is 3 o'clock, so it's officially been 12 hours from start to finish. I'm going to wrap this thing up and get it uploaded. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.